If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it to the book of Galatians in the New Testament. We are in a series that is taking us through this book of Galatians. And this is a book which, which focuses on the central message of the Bible, which we call the gospel, the good news. That's what gospel means, the good news about Jesus Christ. And it emphasizes that it's really important that we get the gospel right, that we get it right. Um, And the Apostle Paul, the reason he wrote this letter to these uh, believers in Jesus in a place called Galatia, um, these are people that he had shared the gospel with. These are people he had led to faith in Jesus, but now they're, they're getting confused. They're getting confused about the message, about the gospel, Um, Because some people had come to them and told them that the message Paul had proclaimed to them wasn't quite right. He didn't have it right. And this this notion of, of trusting in Jesus alone to make you right with God, putting your faith in Jesus to make you right with God, they're saying, that's not enough. That's not enough. You've got to do your part. You've got to contribute your share, and the way you do that is by keeping the Old Testament law that God had given to Moses and the people of Israel. And Paul is responding to this with great passion. He's responding vigorously, and he's saying, that is not true. He is insisting that the message he preaches is the one and the only gospel of Jesus. And he knows because he got it directly from Jesus himself. And, and, the, and the idea that there's another message, or there's an addition to the message, or any other message which requires law-keeping, or, or some other achievement that we have to make in order to contribute to our salvation, Paul says, that's not the gospel. That's not a gospel at all. It's a worthless counterfeit. And it dishonors Christ and it destroys people. And so Paul, we're we're in the middle of this defense that Paul is making where he is defending both his message as the genuine gospel and himself as a genuine apostle. Because these people who were disputing his message were saying, well, you know, Paul, he's not really a real apostle. He's not an apostle like the other guys who, you know, they were with Jesus during his earthly ministry. And so they're attacking his credibility, and they're attacking his credibility because they want to undermine his message. And so Paul, what he's doing here is he's reciting the history. He's reciting his history of how Jesus appeared to him, how Jesus gave him his message, and how that's the same message he's been proclaiming from the very beginning. And, as we're going to see today in this next section, it's the same message that the other apostles were preaching. It's only one gospel, and this is it. Paul's got it, and the other apostles got it, and um, he's making that very clear here. So we're in chapter 2, 
Chapter 2, pick it up at verse 1. He says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation, and I set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential. So now he's going back to the, he's going up to, to meet with the apostles there in Jerusalem, and he sets before them, he says, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Stop there. Right there, he is disproving what his opponents were saying. He's saying, no, you got you to gotta keep the law. So in order to become a Christian, you got to become a Jew. you got to keep the Jewish law in order to be a Christian, in order to have God's full approval. And he's saying, no, I can prove that because when Titus was with us, he's a Greek, he's a Gentile, he was not forced to be circumcised, which is exactly what you would have to do if you wanted to keep the whole law. Verse 4. Yet because the false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, though what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality, those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel of the circumcised, the Jews, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry, the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. When James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So you can see what he's saying here. He went up, he met with these other apostles, and those other apostles said, yeah, same message. What you're preaching to the Gentiles is exactly the same message we're preaching to the Jews. So good job. Right hand of fellowship, high five, something like that. I don't know. But you see, see the point? It's the same message. Now, I want you to focus for a minute on what Paul says in verse 5. Now, he's talking about people he calls false brothers. That means these are people who claim to be fellow believers in Jesus, and Paul says they're not. And the reason they're not is because they don't trust Jesus to make them right with God. They instead trust in their own ability to earn God's approval by keeping the law. That is not how you become a Christian. You don't become a Christian by your merit, by your achievement, by your keeping whatever rules you want to set forth. That's not it. It's faith in Jesus and faith in Jesus alone. And so he says they, they're, not, they're not in the family, people. And they want to force all Gentile Christians to do the same, to keep the, the law the way they are. And Paul's not having it. He's just not having it. 
He says, notice what he says, to them, these false brothers, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Which means there are some truths worth fighting for. Now, metaphorically, I'm not talking about fists and weapons, but there are some truths for which we have to take a stand and not compromise, not back off, not, you know, water down. No compromise. The gospel is one of those truths. The good news about who Jesus is and what he's done for us and how he makes us right with God, that is a truth worth fighting for. No compromises, no additions, no subtractions. Nothing that changes the essential message from trusting Jesus to make us right with God to trusting in something else, whether it's law-keeping or whatever, to make us right with God. The gospel is non-negotiable. Now, that's not really a popular message in the culture we live in, that there are some truths that are just non-negotiable. There are some truths worth standing up for. There are some truths worth fighting for. But the gospel is one of those. Now, not everything is, but some things are. Now, here's the question. Why, why, why does Paul consider this gospel non-negotiable? Why for him, why does he invest so much time, so much energy to preserve the truth of the gospel and to refute those who are distorting it? See, he doesn't do that about everything. But he does about this. Well, let me ask it a different way. What is truth for? What is truth for? Paul clearly claims that the gospel is truth he got from God. God revealed it to him. We see that. He talks about, see how he talks about being entrusted with the gospel? See how he talks about the grace that was given to him? Okay, He's saying God gave him this truth. God gave him and the other apostles this truth. And God gave us this truth through those apostolic messengers. Well, why? What was God's aim in doing that? What's God after in giving us the truth of the gospel? Well, there are several good answers. There's several ways you could answer that question and that are good answers. We've already seen a couple of them in this book. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And then chapter 4 in the, uh, no, I'm sorry, verse 4 of the chapter we just read here in chapter 2 he talks about the freedom we have in Christ. So a good answer is, God gave us the truth of the gospel so we could be free from sin and free from evil. We could be delivered. And that's a solid answer. That's a great answer. But it's a partial answer. 
It's a partial answer. It doesn't tell us the ultimate thing that truth is for. And what I want to do in this message is I want to kind of back up a little bit and take a larger view from Scripture to see the ultimate thing that truth is for. And the reason I want to do this is because you keep hearing me say, we got to get the gospel right. we got to get the gospel right. Well, why? Why do we have to get it right? What is it for? And to know and to understand why the gospel, maybe more than any other truth, is a truth worth fighting for. So I'm going to give you three partial answers to the question, what is truth for? And then we're going to look at the ultimate answer. Okay? Here we go. Partial answer number one. Truth is for believing. Truth is for believing. That seems pretty obvious. The Bible has a lot to say about this, about believing the truth and how important it is that we believe the truth. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and what? Believe in the gospel. So that's a good answer. What's truth for? It's for believing. But there is a potential problem here. And it's not that there's anything wrong with believing, and believing's important, but um, we often think of believing as, as, as mainly or even exclusively a mental thing. It's an activity in our brains, something that happens in our minds. So that we equate believing the truth with agreeing with the facts. And this is why, this explains why there are many people who say they believe in Jesus, and yet it seems to make absolutely no difference whatsoever in how they live. Because what they mean is they agree with the facts about Jesus. So, you know, Who's Jesus? Well, he's the Son of God. He came and he died on a cross. He was born in Bethlehem and he rose from the dead. And they agree with all those facts. And it's important to believe the truth in that sense. I mean, that's foundational. But it's not enough. It's not enough to agree with the facts. Look at James 2.19. You believe there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. If we could somehow challenge Satan to a Bible trivia contest, a a, a contest of Bible facts, I'm not suggesting we actually do this, I'm just saying, (laughs) let's just say we did. We challenge Satan to a contest on Bible knowledge, I'm fairly confident he could whip anybody in this room. He knows the facts about God probably better than anybody on the planet. And yet his knowledge of God, his belief in the truth, does him absolutely no good. You know why? Because he hates the truth. He hates God. So, yes, it's true that truth is for believing, but that is not enough. So, partial answer number two. Truth is for knowing what to say. 
Truth is for knowing what to say. This has always been one of my favorite partial answers, especially when I was younger. You know, see, you you know the facts so that you can tell them to others, (laughs) and you can convince them that you're right and they're wrong. That can be a lot of fun. Um, It can also get out of hand. And here's the thing. We ought to be able to speak the truth. Uh, the Bible says so. First Peter 3.15, for example, tells us, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. That's the part I kind of overlook sometimes. With gentleness and respect. In other words, be ready to give a clear, respectful explanation of the truth, of the truth about Jesus. Be ready be ready. So it's a good answer. Truth is knowing what to say. It's for knowing what to say. That doesn't go far enough either, though. Look at Matthew 23. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe what they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. So here are people who knew God's truth, And they knew it well enough to tell other people to share it, but they didn't do it. And that brings us to answer number three. Truth is for knowing what to do. It's not enough to know the truth in our minds, and it's not enough to be able to tell it to others. Truth is for doing. Truth has to be lived out, in other words. And that's what James is talking about in James 2.14. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? What's the obvious answer? No. No. It's no good at all to claim to have faith to claim to believe in Jesus and not live out the truth. Well, why? Why? Because we have to somehow earn our way by keeping the rules? No. The reason it's no good to claim to believe the truth and not live the truth is because what we do proves what we really believe. What we do proves what we really believe. Now I could tell you I believe in brushing your teeth. I believe in brushing my teeth. It's really important. You need to brush, you need to floss. Good dental hygiene is important for good health. But if I never brush my teeth, gross. You would have every right to question whether I actually believe what I say I believe. That's a really dumb example, but you get the point. You get the point. What we do proves what we really believe. So if I say I believe in Jesus, but I'm not interested really in what he taught, I'm not really interested in what he said, and I don't do what he said, then it's very doubtful that I actually do believe in him. This is why it's hard to take somebody seriously 
who says they believe in Jesus, but, for example, has a really hard, unforgiving attitude. Or they say they believe in Jesus, but they're a notorious gossip. Truth is not just for knowing, and it's not just for telling, it's for doing. Well, that sounds like we're there, right? Sounds like now we've got it. The ultimate answer of what truth is for? No, I gave it away already. I said these are three partial answers, and that's a partial answer too. Now, why do I say that? I want you to look with me at one of the most sobering passages in all of the Bible, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Okay, we're about to read something really serious here. Jesus is speaking, this is at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about the coming day of judgment. And he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now just stop there for a moment. Okay, Notice that these people believe the truth. They agree with the facts. They know Jesus is Lord. Go on. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Now stop again. What does it mean to prophesy? To prophesy means to proclaim the truth of God and call people to believe it. Prophesying is telling God's truth that he has revealed. So these people not only know the truth, They can tell the truth. Go on. And cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Stop. They did wonderful things that look like the truth in action. You'll notice Jesus doesn't say to them, no, you didn't really do those things. They did good things. So they knew the truth, they spoke the truth, and they did the truth, and that still wasn't enough. And Jesus says to them, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. What is truth for? Truth is for knowing God. Jesus says, it's not those who know what to believe and who know what to say and who know what to do, who will enter the kingdom of heaven, that is, enter into God's presence. It's those who do the will of my Father in heaven, and what is that? To know Him. To know Him. The very worst words you or I could ever hear from God are the words, I never knew you. Because that's what truth is for. I want you to see it in another place. 1 John 5.20 And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. In union with His Son, we know Him who is true. He is the true God in eternal life. Do you see it? Jesus came to give us understanding. Why? Why? So that we may know, notice, not what is true, but Him who is true. 
Jesus did not come so that we can know facts about God. He did not come so that we could have a lot of information about God. He came so we can know God. And so if you ever find yourself being content with just knowing the facts, you're missing it. Knowing information, winning arguments, being smart, that's not what truth is for. And I played that game. That's not what it's for. Truth is for knowing God. And that's why we sometimes say around here, it's all about relationships. What does that mean? Well, Jesus said the the greatest commandments are what? Loving God and loving others. So your discovery of the truth, your learning of the truth, your sharing of the truth, that is all meant to lead you to a genuine, growing, loving relationship with God, which in turn leads you to more and more loving others. One more, John 17. I want you to see it. Where Jesus, now this is Jesus praying right before he goes to the cross. Look what he says. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. So there's the gospel. There's the good news. Jesus giving people eternal life for the glory of God. How does he do it? By going to the cross. That's what's going to happen. Now, what does this mean? Just what is eternal life? What's this life he's giving us? He explains. Now, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See it? Eternal life means knowing the only true God. Not knowing about Him, knowing Him. We know there's a difference, right? You can know all about people. Think about all your friends on Facebook. You can know all kinds of facts and things about people and not actually know them. This is about knowing God. This is the knowing of relationship. Okay, just stop. Do you realize that's what God wants for you? Do you realize that's why Jesus came? Why he went to a cross? Why he rose from the dead? Why God has given us the gospel? So that you can know him? This is beyond amazing. This is what truth is for. This is what the gospel is for. This is why some truths are worth fighting for. The goal of the gospel, the goal of the gospel is not just to get our sins forgiven. That's not the goal. That's a means to the end. Jesus came and died for our sins to get our sins out of the way because they are a barrier. They are the barrier between our all-holy creator and, our, and us. So Jesus came to remove the barrier. Why? So we can know God. So we can have a relationship with God. A relationship with God is not an optional extra to salvation for the super spiritual. As if 
You could have your sins forgiven and go to heaven without a relationship with God. Why? Why would you want to go to heaven without a relationship with God? It's knowing God that makes heaven heaven. The relationship is the point. And that's why this truth is worth fighting for. The gospel is worth fighting for because it is the one and only way to know God. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. My old self, my old identity, gone. It is no longer I who live, the old I. But it's Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's relationship. Christ in me. That's the new me. That's the life I live. I live by faith in Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. If we lose the gospel, we lose knowing God. Now, not all truths are this critical. You don't see Paul going to the mat for every truth he teaches, but he does for this one. The good news of Jesus absolutely is a truth worth fighting for. Now, I just want you to be honest with yourself especially if you're somebody who's been going to church like your whole life because your parents made you come like from infancy and you've just been here and you've been, you've just heard it, you've heard it, you've heard it. Truth, 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 truth. Everywhere you turn, somebody, bam, truth. Preacher, truth. Teacher, truth. Truth. Do you agree with the truth you have heard? Awesome. Now, you, maybe you're here and this is like your first exposure to the gospel. You're just kind of checking out this Christianity thing. That's cool. I'm glad you're here. But understand, it's not just about agreeing with the truth. Do you know what to say? Do you know the truth so well? If somebody asked you, hey, tell me about Jesus. Could you do it? Could you tell him? Well, this is who Jesus is. That's awesome too. That is also not enough. And do you know what to do? Do you know the kind of life God wants you to live? Awesome. Not enough. Question. Do you have a relationship with the God who made you? Do you know Him? I don't mean perfectly. Nobody in this room knows God perfectly. But have you said yes to a relationship with Him? Have you realized that it's your sin that keeps you from a relationship with God until Jesus comes and takes that sin out of the way. And in Him, by faith in Him, in union with Him, you now are knowing God. That's the point. That's why Jesus came. And if you don't, if you have not yet begun a relationship with Him, that's exactly what Jesus wants to give you. It's exactly what He wants to do in your life. Say, how do I know what the will of God is? This is it. Receive Jesus, because by receiving Him, you come to know God, and there's no other way.
You come to him and you ask for the relationship you do not deserve and you can never, ever earn. Tell him you need him. Tell him you realize that you, you can't possibly know enough. You can't possibly say enough. You can't possibly do enough to know God. Only Jesus will enable you to know God. And he does it based on what he has accomplished, what he has gained for us, God's approval, not by any merit of our own. We simply receive it. That's what the gospel's for. So when I talk about getting the gospel right, I'm not just talking about getting the facts right. That's important, but that's not enough. In just a few minutes, we're going to gather around the Lord's table And we're going to celebrate the gospel. We're going to celebrate Jesus and what he's done for us. And if you have never yet taken that step of saying yes to him and of entering into a relationship with him, I realize if you've never done that, you think, what what is that? Well, it's a lifelong learning curve. But it all begins when we say yes to him and put our trust, our hope in him. And so I'm going to ask you to bow right now and we're going to pray. And if you never have, I would invite you to just as say, God, as best I understand it, I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, give me what I can't earn and don't deserve. Give me a relationship with you. Come into my life. Take my sin away. Nail it to your cross and set me free to know you. Father, I pray that you will help us remember what truth is for. It's for knowing you. Help us not get caught up in lesser goals. Help us keep the end in view. Knowing you, knowing you, knowing you. And if there's anybody here who doesn't know you yet, hasn't crossed that line of saying yes to Jesus, I pray today will be the day for them. And I pray you'd help us all come to a deeper knowledge of you through Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.